We've all seen the courtroom drama, haven't we? Either on TV or maybe in a movie, and you've been watching a case, and you just don't know exactly how this case is going to unfold. You've been through the ups and downs, and you just don't know who's going to win. And then a lawyer, he stands up and he says, Your Honor, if it pleases the court, we'd like to call so-and-so to the stand. And you know that they have called a surprise witness because you hear the collective just gasp of everyone in the audience. And the camera begins to pan around and you see the faces of the jury, the judge, the other attorney. You see just everyone's looking and they're wondering, what is this witness going to say? The, the music, there's this dramatic music and the, the doors fling wide open and in walks the surprise witness. And you know that the case, everything ha hangs in the balance on what this witness is going to say, the testimony that this witness is going to provide. What have they seen? What have they heard? What have they been privy to? What insights do they have? And how is what they say going to impact this whole case? You know that everything is going to change based on the testimony of this witness. Well, there, there may not have been dramatic music. The doors may not have just flung wide open, but make no mistake about it. If you know Jesus Christ, if God has saved you, then every single day, some way or another, you are called to the stand in order to give witness to what you know, to what you've seen, to, to answer the question, is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? And if you say that he is, how do you know that? See, if, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if God has saved you, make no mistake about it. Every day, one way or another, you are called to the stand. You may not have to raise your right hand. You, you may, the courtroom doors may not just fling open. You may not be seated in a courtroom, but you will be testifying just the same. This is what Jesus promises his followers in the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn there with me, if you would, Acts chapter 1. God has designed us, the church, to be a transformative influence on our society, on our culture, on our world. And this morning, we're launching in, we're just kicking off an exciting new study through the book of Acts. We're going to start with the first nine chapters. and It's going to be a thought-provoking, challenging, exciting series. It's titled, Blueprints of a Healthy Church. We're going to study how God, the, the master architect, designed a transformational church and how he wants the church to be a transformative influence on our culture, on our society, to, to go out and transform individuals who will transform communities who will in turn transform the world. And we have a choice. The church, every church has a choice. Will we either engage that mission or will we retreat there's churches all over, and they're foregoing the mission that God has given them. I mean, the, the Bible talks about it. He says, hey, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But a light, even though you are the light, you don't cease to be the light. You can be hidden under a bowl. You are the salt of the world. You don't cease to be salt, but you can just lose your influence. You can just lose your saltiness. You can just forget your mission. There's churches all over the country all over the world who have decided to forego their mission and they just retreat into some type of subculture that insulates herself from culture, from the mission. 
I'm so thankful that this is a church who wants to engage the culture and reach people, who've sent missionaries all over the globe to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a church that desires to be transformed, to set aside any preferences, any personal ideas of what methods we ought to do, but just let's focus on the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message that we have to proclaim. And then let's see God just use this message to transform our world to be more like his kingdom. So we're going to dig into the book of Acts, and we're just going to be reminded of how God has designed his church to do that. The blueprints that he kind of laid out and says, this is how a healthy church is to operate. We'll get started in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And just to set the scene of the background of the book of Acts for you just a little bit, Dr. Luke is the writer. He's the author of the book, Luke. He also wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's Gospel, if, if, uh, and if you have time this week, I encourage you, go back and read the Gospel of Luke. But Luke's Gospel is designed to get you to Jerusalem. Everything in Luke's gospel keeps pointing towards Jerusalem and inching towards Jerusalem because you know something incredible is going to happen in Jerusalem, namely the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he's just driving you there. And now in the book of Acts, this historical narrative on the church, Jerusalem will become the launching pad for this transformative ministry that, that God has designed his church to be a part of. And he's really called the church to be the surprise witness. See, no one expected the, the church was this, the church age is the mysterious age of the kingdom, the age that nobody really saw coming. The God just didn't spell it out for you in the Old Testament that there will be this church age. It was the mysterious age of the kingdom. It is the surprise witness who's called to the stand to bear witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Luke, he writes this gospel, or his gospel, and now this uh, historical narrative, the book of Acts, to Theophilus. Theophilus, uh, theos means God, philo means love, and so you put it together, this, this man's name means God lover, lover of God. And there's different ideas on who this man is, or even if he's a real person at all. It's a pseudonym. It's not a real name. It's just a, it's a nickname. Um, in Luke's gospel, he calls him most excellent Theophilus. And so some have thought that perhaps that he is high up in the Roman government and a very influential man, and so he, but at the same time a Christian. And so Luke refers to him as most excellent Theophilus, God lover, and gives him this nickname and addresses these books to him. Others have said that, hey, you know, back in those times, in order to fund a big writing project like this, that you needed a wealthy donor who would support the project. And so perhaps this man, Theophilus, he was a God lover who wanted to see uh, just these books written. And so Luke is honoring the man who funded his writing project by calling him God-lover, Theophilus. Others have said it's not really a man at all. It's just you could actually take that term Theophilus and you could take it as plural. And it's God-lovers. And that, that Luke is actually writing to Christians, to believers, that, hey, this, this is who the book is for. Regardless of who it's written to, the important part, the really exciting part of this book is what he says, that this mysterious witness has been introduced to testify to a lost 
and dying world. And here are the blueprints for how the church is going to be healthy and transform the world. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, we'll get started. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's been an exciting few weeks for the apostles and the church, you know, just, a, just a, a month or so ago previous, Jesus, he enters Jerusalem, it's the triumphal entry, and he gets there and he shows up, but the religious leaders, you know, they have plans for Jesus, they want him dead, and so they trump up all these charges against him, and before you know it, there's this mob rule, there's a kangaroo trial, and Jesus, he's guilty, and he will be executed, he will be crucified. Shortly thereafter, as you know, the, the women, they go, and the, 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 the funeral service, the way it happens, is just kind of thrown together. It comes about so quick. They have to borrow a tomb, you know. There's, they don't even own a tomb, so they have to borrow a tomb for them. And a couple days later, uh, the women, they come, and they, they want to kind of finish the funeral service. But the funeral service, it's called off on account of life. It's hard to have a funeral for a guy when he's alive. And so, uh, they go back and they tell the apostles, Jesus is alive, he's risen. And shortly thereafter, Jesus meets with them and he begins to just teach them some more and prove to them that he is alive. And, and he's challenging them and telling them about what's around the corner. And, and now he's telling them that soon, very soon, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be a great day because he's going to empower you. And when the disciples hear this, you can just imagine how excited they were. Here's Jesus right there in front of them, and he's telling them that they're also now going to get the Holy Spirit, and they're excited, and they're pumped up, and they're expecting Jesus to do something amazing, and they look at him, and they say, Jesus, is this the time that we've been looking forward to? Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All that stuff that we've learned about, is this the time that you're going to make things right? Are you going to put your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Are you going to restore to Israel her prominent place in the world? Are you going to fulfill the covenant that you originally made with Abraham way, way back when? Is this the time, Lord? You can almost feel their excitement, their sense of anticipation, can't you? And Jesus answers, and he doesn't dismiss what they are saying. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing that. The kingdom's not going back to Israel. You've misunderstood. He doesn't say that at all. What he says is, hey, that's, that's not for you to know when, when that's going to happen. The times or the dates of, of when I will restore the kingdom to Israel, that's not 
for you to know. Now, it's always been the case in the Christian community that there's been some out there who have tried to pin down a date. You know, there's, there's a new eclipse or that you read through the Bible and here's a secret code and you try to put it together and say, this is the date. And you go all the way back and so far everybody's been wrong on the date that they've said. But they go through and say, okay, let's, let's see if I can find it. And you get these Bible teachers who say, this is the date. And as if there's going to be some door prize in heaven. That God's going to stop and say, okay, well done. Now, hey, before we get to any business here, I want to find out who picked this date. Congratulations. Come forward. Receive your prize. No. Jesus says, hey, don't spend your time trying to figure out the dates and the seasons. That's not for you to know. He says, Jesus has prepared for the birth of the church that the church would be focused on her mission. The times and the dates, that's for the Father. What you need to know, what you need to be focused on is your mission, why you're here. So this is too important, this is too critical to be thinking about all this other stuff. A healthy church, a mark of a healthy church, part of the blueprints, the way God designed it, is that the church would have a clarity of mission. A clarity of mission. And you know what it's like when you're on mission, right? I mean, nothing is going to get in your way. You are focused on what you are called to do. This is what I know I'm going to do, and if you're on mission, man, you just go out and do it. You know, I ask my kids sometimes, hey, can you clean your room? And they'll go up there, and they just start talking, you know, and then they start playing, and you know, several hours pass, and you go up there, and the room is still not clean. No, that's their mission, is to clean the room, but they just get to doing whatever. Why? Because they're not focused on their mission. I rag on them, but I do the same thing, you know. I mean, I, I know that sometimes what I really need to do is get out and do some yard work. What I really need to do is clean this or clean that, but hey, I get distracted by what I need to do, the mission that I have at the moment, and I start doing other stuff. But then I can go, and I can tell my kids, hey, Clean your room, and after it's done, we'll go to the park. And all of a sudden, boom, there's this laser focus. You know, there's this clarity. All right, boom, I, I know. Hey, here's what I've got to do. And then, because why? They value going to the park. They value what's coming up next. See, the church must so value her mission of why we're here and what God has called us to be. That we're called to be light, we're called to be salt, we're called to be this transformative influence on society. Jesus, he's laying out the blueprints here. And he says, sometimes you're asking this question about, hey, all this. He says, just lay that aside for a moment. Here's what your mission is. Let's be crystal clear on this. Don't focus your time and your energy trying to figure out when he's going to fulfill all of the promises to Israel. There's some importance there, and, and we want to read through the book of Revelation. Absolutely. I mean, we're starting a class tonight. We're excited for it, but... The important part is not trying to pin down a date. Jesus said that, hey, your mission is to go and make disciples of all peoples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So you've got to look at all of Scripture. Say, this is, this is my goal. This, this is how I have to disciple people. I've got to know his Bible so well that I can teach people to obey all of it. Jesus says that the mission for this church, this specific church, this early church, the beginning church, as the church is born, is to testify about Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
It was crystal clear. I mean, make no mistake about it. They understood exactly what they were supposed to do. Hey, I've got to bear witness. I've got to provide testimony of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ here in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, in these places, in this order. Churches become unhealthy when they forget why they exist. When they focus on the wrong things, you know, when, when their mission becomes small, when they become insulated, when the people of the church believe that the church exists so that we can gather together as opposed to believing that the church exists so that we can come and get fired up and it's like a gas station and it's a launching pad that sends us out to scatter in our community as opposed to just, hey, we just need to be here together. No, the church is a launching pad for the sake of others, for the sake of our culture, for our community, for our world. And we live in a culture where you get a company like Starbucks, whose mission it is, is to put a cup of coffee in the hand of every person on the globe. We must believe as a church that the mission that God has given us is far superior to that. That God has given us a far greater mission. That our mission is not just to give someone a cup of coffee, but we get to give them life. We get to introduce them to the only one who can give life. We've been called to testify to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the truth of the gospel. See, Jesus, he drew up these blueprints so that the early church would know her mission. That it was crystal clear. Go to Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I believe that every single person involved in that church understood that mission. I believe there was such clarity of mission that you, if you would have asked anyone involved in the early church, what is your mission, that they would be able to just say exactly that. Hey, we've been called to bear witness by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I believe that passionately because if you follow just the outline of the book of Acts, that's exactly what the church does. The, Acts, uh, the, the church in the book of Acts begins in Jerusalem, and they share the gospel there. Then they're scattered out into all Judea, and they continue to share the gospel, and they move to Samaria. They continue to share the gospel, and then you've got the missionary trips, and they're traveling all over the globe to share the gospel. They knew her mission with crystal clarity. Central was founded 61 years ago when God moved on the heart of Dr. Eugene Robinson, who's from West Virginia, to come here and to plant a church in Portsmouth, Virginia, perhaps because of the military influence in the, in the community and knowing that, hey, these people in military, they need a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. And so there was this clarity of mission with which this church was founded. Do we still have that clear mission today? If people, if, if people were just to come and ask us, hey, why does Central exist? Why are we here anyway? Well, what is our purpose? Would we all say the same thing? Would every, every member and every regular attender, would we be able to say just the same thing? Would we use the same language, the same verbiage? Would it be crystal clear? Do we have that type of determination, that clarity, that unity, that we know just what our mission is? See, Jesus knows that the mission of the church is too important to expect any less that we've got to be so laser-focused on what he's called us to do that we just can't be just wishy-washy. Well, I'm not quite sure. If the early church was not quite sure of her mission, 
who would she have transformed? What would the result have been? In fact, Jesus, in defining this clarity of music, uh, of, of mission, he tells them not to worry about the times or the dates. Hey, God's got that covered. The Father has that covered. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power. Jesus knew that the mission that he was calling the church to be on, it was just too big for them. It was they in and of themselves, they could never do it. It was too big of a mission, too hard of a mission, too difficult of a mission, a mission that would encompass their whole life. They would just never stay that committed, that focused. And you know how it is. Sometimes you can start off so driven, and you can see the plan right in front of you, and you just kind of just go for it, and you gloss right over the power, and you go straight to the plan. Hey, we got this strategy, we got this idea, we got this blueprint for what's supposed to happen, so let's just get right at it. And then what happens? You fail. See, churches have done this over and over and over again. Why? Because they have mistakenly thought that their time, their energy, their strategy, their ideas, that they can do this, that they can accomplish this all by themselves. They can just go out and they can have this influence and they can come back and they can share with Jesus what happened and how it went. But it doesn't work that way. God says, this mission that I've called you to, it's too big for you. That I must empower you. By the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. That we'll never be able to live out this mission unless we get to the place that we know we are useless apart from him. You know, the rest of the verse never happens unless the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, you got to go to Jerusalem and wait. <laughs> just, just wait there until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Until, until you get to the end of your rope and your prayer just dissolves into tears because you know, I cannot transform the people in my community. I, I can't be this transformative influence on my neighbors and on the people in my workplace. I can't do it on my own. <laughs> until, you, until you get to the end and you realize that I can do nothing apart from Jesus. That's what Jesus said, actually, that you can do nothing apart from me, nothing of any eternal significance, nothing of any kind of lasting value apart from Jesus. Anything that you do of any eternal significance is always because you are connected to Jesus. He's, he empowers it. You have the power to bear witness because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he uses you to change lives. Just as an aside, too, I think this is important to note. The Holy Spirit is not a power. He is a person. Okay? You can sin against the Holy Spirit. You cannot sin against a power. Okay, I don't know how you sin against a power, but I know you can sin against a person. Right? You, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? You, you do that which we, you know you should not do, and it grieves the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. You cannot grieve a power. A power is not going to be upset if you do or don't. Okay? Power doesn't have any feelings. You can't grieve a power. You can grieve a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. And, and his role 
is to empower us, the church, so that we could bear witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. He's like the third, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's kind of like an advertising agency, you know? The advertising agency, you hire the advertising agency for your company, and they come in, and they, they make this great ad, and it brings all this awareness to the product or the company. And, but no one ever looks and says, okay, that advertising agency was great. Like, who was that? You don't even know who the advertising agency was. See, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us so that we can just be billboards and magnify the good news of Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus Christ. If there is a ministry that places more emphasis on the Holy Spirit than on Jesus Christ, they've got their priorities backwards. It's a ministry to be wary of, to be cautious of, because this is the role of the Holy Spirit, to empower us so that Jesus Christ can be made famous. God knows that he's getting ready to call his church to testify concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. And that the only way the church is going to be empowered to do that, the only way the church is going to be able to do that, is if they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It can't happen any other way. And to this church that was to be born in Jerusalem, Jesus says, you will bear witness first in Jerusalem, Then in all Judea, the whole province, and then to Samaria, the next door neighbors, and then to the ends of the earth. This is the mission. And there is such clarity of mission. This is a mark of a healthy church. This is a blueprint of a healthy church. And then the next blueprint, the next mark, it says that the church is to have this missionary mentality. You see it, that they are on this focus. They have this missionary mentality that they're going to be going and they're going to be testifying and they're going to be bearing witness here, there, and everywhere. And and Jesus knows, he, he knows that he must get this church to realize that this is not our home. That we're here, we're called to the stand as this surprise witness in God's kingdom of events to share the good news of the love of God. And Jesus says that that starts in a place that's most comfortable to you. See, Jerusalem would have been the most comfortable place for the disciples, for the early church. This is where they're from. This is where their friends are. This is their neighbors. This is who they know. A healthy church will begin initiating gospel conversations with people they're most comfortable with. That, that it's just so naturally a part of who you are that you'll just start having gospel conversations. You'll just talk about Jesus with people you're comfortable with, people you just see on a day-to-day basis as you're out shopping in the stores and, and as you're out just kind of taking a walk in your neighborhood, just whatever you're doing, that as you go through your normal daily routine, routines of life, you'll be engaging people with the gospel. You, you know how it is, things you're passionate about. Maybe your kids, your grandkids, your job, where you live, the weather, whatever, your favorite sports team, ODU, you know, whatever it is. You just start talking about the things that you love. This is Jesus will be so important to who you are that as you kind of go around and you're just talking with people, it's just going to come out. It can't help but seep out and get into the conversations that you're having. Because this is who you are, and it starts with people you just naturally talk to. And then Jesus, he takes the mission a step further. He says, but that's not enough. He says, you will venture out of your normal boxes. You'll go to all Judea. You go to out, out of your normal routines. I was at the welcome home class Wednesday night, and David Thompson, he was, he was kind of walking us through. 
And he was asking the question, say, what's out of your normal routine? Where, where would you just not normally go and just so that you can have conversations with those people? And this is what Judea is. That you're getting out of your normal box and, hey, you know, I'm going to shop at a different store this week. Just try to meet some new people. I'm going to take my walk through the neighborhood at a different time. I'm going to sit in a different seat in the auditorium. I'm just going to do things differently. I'm going to start going to community events that before I just would have ignored. Why? Because I want to have gospel conversations with people who I would not have otherwise had the privilege of meeting. That this is my mission. My mission is not just to sit home and enjoy life, but to go out and to be this influence for eternity, for the sake of Jesus. He had this missionary mentality that I've got to start gospel conversations with people because you live your life on mission. But Jesus says, hey, it goes even further than that, beyond just where you're comfortable and beyond what's a little outside of your box. It extends to difficult places, to places you never thought you'd go, to places before you'd want to avoid. Jesus says to the early church that, hey, you're going to go to Samaria. And any, anybody living in Jerusalem at the time, they're saying, to Samaria? you got to be kidding. Nobody takes a vacation to Samaria. I mean, the Samaritans, they're, they're kind of second-class people. We, we don't want to deal with Samaritans. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be a transformative influence in Samaria. That after you talk to the people who you're comfortable with and the people a little outside your box, you're going to go to Samaria. You're going to go to the hard places. And you look around your life and you ask, okay, where, where is it difficult for me to go? Where, where are the places that I would rather just avoid and rather stay away from? Who are the people that, hey, when I see them walk in the room, I kind of want to go the other way? Jesus says, it's to those people I'm now calling you. That I I want to use you to have a transformative influence in their life, to go there. I mean, we live in such polarizing times, don't we? I mean, you turn on the TV and you watch the news. It doesn't matter what channel. It's always like, it's almost as if the news is trying to pit one side against the other. It's divisive. That they're evil. You don't got to stand up against them. No, they're evil. You got to stand up against them. And pit one another against each other and focus on what divides us. And so you have this idea, well, we've got to protect America, and we've got to advance America. And Jesus says, hey, to those people who are difficult to you, to those people who you look at and you say, man, they've got this off-the-wall worldview. I, don't, I, don't, I can't understand how they're thinking. He says, those people are not the enemy. They are the mission field. They're not people to look down upon. They're people to look to. How can I go and engage them? How can I have a conversation with them? How can I love them? How can I tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? God has given us a bigger mission. And the mission is to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not to advance the kingdom of America. As as great as that may be, our mission is bigger than that. We're ambassadors for a bigger king, a better king, a better kingdom. It's a better mission. And God says, hey, you can't do that by yourself that you just won't do that by yourself because the tendency of man is to retreat and to say, I I don't want to go there. That's hard. That's difficult. I don't think I like those people. God says, no, 
you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when you go and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not just talking about, hey, how good my church is. You're talking about a man who died for your sin and who rose again. You're having conversations about Jesus. And it's naturally offensive to people because they want to think that I can do this by myself that I don't need anything, that I can rely on myself. So it's naturally offensive to think that, no, you can't. That you need, you are in desperate need. You need Jesus Christ more than you need your next breath. See, if, if the government were calling you or I to the stand to make such a bold claim to testify, they would put us in witness protection program. And they'd say, okay, after you testify, we're going to hole you up in some part of the country, and we're going to give you a new name, and no one's even going to know who you are, and you can just kind of blend in. Because this is so dangerous, the testimony that we are calling you to give witness to. God says, hey, I can't just hole you away somewhere. I can't just sequester you off. I can't just, you know, inoculate you from culture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you God, the Holy Spirit, to empower you because you got to keep going. You got to go to the comfortable places. You got to go outside your box. You got to go to difficult places and you don't stop. You keep going. This is what a healthy church does. She keeps going. Then he says, You will go to the ends of the earth. You'll go to those places that you thought were impossible. How could anybody go there? Who, who would go there? I don't even know where there is sometimes, right? I mean, you, you look at the mission trips that this church has been on and to Ireland and to Sri Lanka, and I know some of you have been on them. And if, and if people would have told you, hey, when, you're, when you were a, a kid or something, they would say, hey, you know, one day you're going to go to Sri Lanka, you're going to go to Ireland, and you're going to go to these difficult places, and you're going to tell people there about Jesus Christ. You would laugh. I mean, if someone would have told me that over the past Two years that I would have ended up in little grass huts preaching the gospel in Sierra Leone, Africa. If you would have told me that when I was in high school, if you would have told me that, hey, every week you're going to have these FaceTime conversations with two Sierra Leonean pastors trying to train them up so that they can faithfully present and articulate the scriptures, that I would have laughed at you when I was younger. And I would have wondered, what have you been drinking to think that I would do that? I don't even know where Sierra Leone, Africa is. How would I possibly be involved in some kind of ministry there? See, it's to these impossible places that God says you will go and you will go and you will keep on going. You never stop. If you're a parent or a grandparent or maybe if you just work with kids a lot, I, I want to encourage you to model this for your kids. Let your kids see you having gospel conversations just with normal people, just in your normal flow of life, model that, that you have gospel conversations with people. Show them that you get a little outside your box, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Why? Because I'm just hoping that I can engage somebody with the good news of Jesus Christ. Go to difficult places with them, places that you've never really thought you'd go before, to hard people, and share the gospel with them. And after you've done that, if you do that in, in that order and you just show them this is just naturally who I am, this is just part of our life, this is what we do because we're Christians. And this is what we're called to do. This is our mission. We can do no less. 
Then go to those impossible places, perhaps, if you're able. Go on some mission trip. Make the first mission trip you do, a mission trip that you do with your whole family, just to share the good news of, the G- of Jesus Christ. See, the church needs to model this so that the next generation coming up will have that same power, that same intensity, that same laser focus of this is our mission, this is what we do, this is how we live. Jesus presents the most compelling mission on the face of the planet, and he invites us to be a part of it. The next scene is after Jesus just lays out the mission for the early church, he ascends into heaven. And if you read it through in the book of Acts, the disciples, they're just staring, looking in the sky, because they, they see him go, and they just can't keep their eyes off of him as he's just going. And then, you know, they're just still staring. They're fixated on This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. A man just ascended into the sky. And so much so that angels have to come and they're so mesmerized. And they say, hey, Jesus told you he was going to do this. It's okay. He's doing just what he said he's going to do. He's called you to bear witness. Let's focus on that. And so then we'll pick up the story. Acts 1, 12 through 14. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So the disciples, they get the message. They, they realize that the only hope they had of accomplishing this ministry was if God showed up. The only way this mission would work is if God showed up. And so they do just what Jesus said. They, they just wait. They wait for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them, and they pray. And th- this is another mark of a healthy church. This is the way God designed the blueprints of a healthy church to operate, and it's prayerful dependence. Prayerful dependence. I mean, at the birth of this church, they're so committed to prayer. At one point, they're going to pray for 40 days straight. I mean, can you imagine 40 days straight praying about the same thing? I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I can pray one day, I can pray a couple days, pray for a week, and it's like, okay, God, you still haven't answered the prayer. I guess you're saying no, right? I mean, it's been a week. We can treat prayer like we're going through the fast food line at McDonald's. Like, okay, God, here's the prayer. Where's the answer? But God doesn't work like that. He, he wants to develop this heart, this prayerful dependence that we come to him again and again and again and again, and we realize that, hey, unless you show up, nothing's going to happen here. Then unless you're in this, the rest of the mission doesn't take place. And these are, these are all kinds of prayers Prayer is about spiritual growth, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of repentance, prayers of supplication of the needs that we have, prayers for those who don't know Jesus, that they would know him, prayers for the church and prayers for the country and prayers for church leaders and prayer for the leaders of our country and prayers for our world and prayers for our missionaries, but mainly prayers about the mission of the church. This is what they're focused on at the beginning, that the church would be so focused in her mission. That the Holy Spirit would show up and that we would do that which we are called to do because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And we can't rely on ourselves and see transformation in others. It doesn't work that way. Transformation is a work of God, and so a healthy church is burdened to pray that God's clearly defined mission would take place because they are in complete reliance upon him. The early church, they continued devoting themselves to prayer. And as they're having this prayer meeting and they're just praying and praying, just fervently, just depending upon God, Peter stands up. And Peter, just he, he begins to recount things a little bit and he tells them, hey, you know Judas... He betrayed Jesus. He, he died. He left us. He did his own thing. It was wrong. It was evil. And he's dead now. And then he quotes this psalm that, that God just kind of brought to him. He says, hey, we, we need another apostle. We've got to have another disciple. We've got to have 12. And so he presents two men. And, hey, we've got, uh, we've got two guys here, Matthias or, um, uh, forget the other guy's name, Barsabbas. And who, who is it, God. Who are, you, who are you leading us to? And so they're praying, and as they're praying, they cast lots. And so, and this was an act at that time of obedience, that, hey, hey, God, we are trusting you to show up and just direct us clearly to who it is. Now, once the Holy Spirit was given, there's no more casting lots, rolling dice, you know, putting out fleeces, nothing like that, because now we've given the Holy Spirit a spirit of discernment, and we're able to, uh, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, to understand just what God is calling us to do. But they realize, hey, unless God shows up, we're not going to know who to pick. That in every single detail of our lives, we need to be empowered by God. But the Holy Spirit has come. And Jesus told us that it would be better when the Holy Spirit came. And some of you might say, well, how can it be better with the Holy Spirit than with Jesus himself? I mean, you got Jesus himself. Isn't Jesus himself better than the Holy Spirit? I mean, think about it. If next week, if I told you that Jesus himself would be preaching here next week, I mean, none of you would miss, right? You'd all show up, and you'd be bringing your friends. We'd cancel children's ministry. We'd put everybody in here. Jesus is going to be preaching. Other churches in the area would find out, and they would cancel their services if they love Jesus, right? And they'd say, hey, we're going to Central, because Jesus is going to be there preaching. And we want, to hear what, we want to hear what Jesus is going to say. In our, our sanctuary, we wouldn't be able to hold everybody. I mean, there, there'd be so many people here because Jesus is here, and everybody wants to hear Jesus. But that's the problem, isn't it? That Jesus, when, when, when he took on the limitations of man, he, he confined himself to the realities of man. And that is, he could only be in one place at one time. He, he let go of his divine omnipresence so that he could be physical in time and space. And so Jesus says, hey, it's going to be better when the Holy Spirit comes. Because now I can empower believers all over the globe. And we can have church service here, and there can be other faithful church services in our community, all over Virginia, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? Everywhere. People who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to faithfully preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to look specifically at what happened when the Holy Spirit was given and how he showed up and how just the power that he brought and what came with him. It, it, it'll be exciting. But right now, what you need to know is, hey, in, in everyday routine places, 
in those places that are a little more outside your box, in those places that you look at and you say, I, I don't really ever want to go there, those difficult, hard places, and then even in places that seem impossible, that you've been called to testify, that Jesus himself has subpoenaed you to bear witness that he really is who he said he is, and that you've got a story to tell about what he's done in your life, the reality of the gospel. This is such a dangerous mission that if the, Holy, if the government were calling you to testify, you'd be in witness protection program. But for the church, he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we would stay on mission, that we would never shrink back, that even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when we feel like quitting, even if we may feel like we've done enough, God says, no, keep on going. You've been empowered by my Holy Spirit. God says, prayerfully be dependent upon me because you've got this mission. There's this clarity of mission that you must fulfill. So have this missionary mentality because this is what my church is designed to do. These are the blueprints that I'm laying out for a healthy church. Would you ever stop going? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called us to the stand, your surprise witness, to bear witness to a lost and dying world, that you are who you said you are, that you did what we could never do, that you lived a perfect life, that you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, that you invite us into a relationship with you so that we could spend eternity with you in heaven. God, that is the truth that we can just never get over. And now, God, you've called us, the church, to bear witness, to tell this truth to everyone we meet. Those just who come natural, those a little outside the box, those who we thought we'd never go to. And God, even to those impossible places all over the globe. God, you've given us this clarity of mission. So help us not shrink back. Help us to prayerfully be dependent upon you as we have this missionary mentality because we know unless you show up, it's never going to happen. Our need for you is not partial. It is total. Help us to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. Help us to share the testimony you've called us to share. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.